0: Welcome to the Marketing Mantra Podcast brought to you by 99signals.com, a place to find top notch content on a wide range of marketing topics, including SEO, social media marketing, content marketing, blogging, and more. Take your blog to the next level and achieve massive traffic growth by learning top blogging strategies discussed in the Marketing Mantra Podcast. And now, here is your host, Sandeep Malia.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of Marketing Mantra. This is your host Sandeep Malia from 99signals.com and today I'll be joined by John Wall, co-host of Marketing Over Coffee. It's one of my favorite marketing podcasts and it's also one of the most highly regarded marketing podcasts with over half a million downloads annually. The show follows a unique format. John Wall and his co-host Christopher Penn record most of their episodes in a local coffee shop where they discuss the latest marketing trends and occasionally invite marketing influencers to share their unique perspectives. If you aren't subscribed to it already, I would urge you to do so right now. Past guests on Marketing Over Coffee have included thought leaders and influencers like Seth Gordon, Rand Fishkin, Simon Sinek, Gabriel Weinberg, Anne Handley, among many others. I'll share a link to the list of most popular episodes of Marketing Over Coffee in the description to help you get started. John Wall is also the head of business development at the marketing data and analytics consulting firm Trust Insights. As the producer and co-host of Marketing Over Coffee, John's work has been profiled by Forbes, Inc. Magazine, CBS and the Associated Press. At Trust Insights, John's team uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to help their customers make better decisions. So the main focus of this episode will be on how AI and machine learning can be used in marketing. But John will also be sharing his unique insights on SEO, social media, and entrepreneurship. Super excited to have John on the show and I hope you enjoy listening to this exchange. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Just uh, wanted to say, big fan of your uh, podcast, Marketing Over Coffee. I really like the concept. Uh, I really like the Rand Fishkin episode. I'm a big fan of him, and uh, I like this book, Lost in Founders. I uh, really loved the episode. Uh, it was completely focused on um, that book. Uh, really uh, like the interview style as well. You've had so many guests on your show. So before we started, just wanted to say really love the kind of work that you're doing.
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a thrill to get to talk to some of the authors that we get. And yeah, I just love the fact that, you know, people all over the world can get a chance to to listen to this and learn from it. So yeah, it's a,
1: more than I ever dreamed possible out of this thing. Do you always uh, have uh, each episode at a cafe or um, or do you do Skype interviews as well? How, how does it happen? Because the concept is supposed to be like, you know, you have an interview uh, in a cafe, right? That's how your podcast interviews are conducted. So do you make exceptions? So uh, it's really kind of the mythology
2: of the show. You know, when we started over 12 years ago now, I was doing a podcast and I had Christopher Penn live near me, and so I was able to talk him into doing this by saying, "Hey, look, before we go to work, let's meet at this coffee shop and we can record there." So we did that for years. I mean, at least seven or eight years. It was pretty much exclusively at the coffee shop. But mm-hmm. as time has gone by, now the tools are so good that we actually get much better sound if we just sit in our own studios and record. And with all the author guests too, we can do stuff online. So Skype is, mm-hmm. you know, works. Um, but yeah, there's some tools now like Zencaster and um, Squadcast. Uh, Squadcast oh, is the latest one we've been using. That just, you know, if both parties have a decent microphone, it can be as good
1: as you're in a studio. It really does a, you know an amazing job oh, nowadays. That's nice. The first question before we move on to the main topic, which is AI and machine learning. To all the listeners out there who have just started their podcast, because it's like you said, there's so many tools right now. It's now easier than ever to start your own podcast. So I wanted to hear from you. um, How can an entrepreneur who's just starting out turn his or her podcast into a powerful marketing tool and build a loyal audience? Yeah, the most important thing, Um, and it's funny, Christopher Lockhead is
2: the guy that kind of got me onto this, this idea of niching down. You know, you really want to pick a specific topic that only you can talk about and something that's, you know, it's okay if it's a very small, tiny audience. You just want to be the best option to listen to in that, you know, one space. So if it's a matter of, you know, how to do better on Indian social networks, you know, if that's where your expertise is, that's where you want to start. And, you know, over time, you may want to branch out and become more general. But the big thing is to be the best in the space you're at. And that's the same way we started. I mean, I messed around with podcasting for a couple years, kind of trying to be a radio DJ type thing. And I realized that, you know, I was no different from the other 1000 people out there trying to do the same thing. And that marketing and technology was the one area where I had unique content that nobody else could talk about. And so, you know, that was the seed for us to start the show. And uh, yeah, that same advice still holds.
1: Great. So, niching down is what you would recommend. Um, That's a pretty good advice. And I guess um, uh, with so many podcasts out there, uh, maybe 12 years back, you had uh, less competition. uh, But now with so many podcasts out there, especially with tools like Anchor, where anyone and everyone can start a podcast, I guess it's uh, uh, more important than ever to, you know, niche down or narrow down your focus. So, that's a pretty good advice. Um, So, at Trust Insights, I I believe uh, you... uh, uh, you unravel uh, dark data with the use of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence so uh, see artificial intelligence is a pretty uh, a generic term right it's an umbrella term that we used to describe various things and uh, the first thing that comes to your mind when we talk about AI is you know Skynet or robots so if you can just simplify it for our listeners and uh, you know talk from a marketing perspective as to how AI can um, uh, help uh, a small time on entrepreneur uh, grow his business uh, and share a few examples. That would be great. Yeah, sure.
2: So you hit the nail on the head in that AI is really a generic term. I mean, it first came out back in 1956. There were a bunch of academic mathematicians and statisticians that came up with this term to define what they saw that computing power was going to be able to do in the future. So unlike other tech terms, you know, like blogs or social media or search engines, artificial intelligence, this idea has been around forever. And really all it is is what we think computers are going to be able to do maybe 3 4 years down the road so even though marketing has hijacked it as kind of something to jump on board and to say that it's in all these new products and things like that, it's really nothing but data analysis and churning through large quantities of data. So for marketers, though, there's specific mm. applications that are finally coming to bear. Um, for us, we see them in five major categories. So one is text mining. You know, the fact that you could have a machine learning algorithm read 64,000 articles, you know, in a few minutes in a morning, which you'd never be able to do. Um, It can map who's influential. You know, it can look at, like, networks such as social networks to determine who are the people that are driving conversation and are most cited, things that you can't do by hand. Um, We can use clustering to understand how variables relate to each other, you know, be able to run mathematical models and find out how things influence each other. And the big application for that one is in attribution. You know, understanding which marketing programs are working and not working, and which ones can we take out, and which ones are indispensable and we actually have to have. Um, the fourth one's driver analysis, which kind of goes hand in hand with that. It's just an extension of, you know, clustering and influential, using that to determine specifically. Uh, what the positive factors are. And then the last one is predictive, which is one of the more exciting ones, being able to go through huge quantities of data and use that to determine what the future could hold. Um, And we're in kind of an interesting position right now where... You know, we're in a situation that we've never been in before, so there's nothing we can forecast. But most of the time, you know, there's a yearly pattern to the searches and e-commerce and all the things that drive your business. So with just a little bit of analysis, Mm -hmm. you can get a better idea of kind of what's coming in the next week, month, and quarter to allow you to
1: budget more effectively and run more effective campaigns is AI better for certain industries or uh, can it cut across all industries? Now, you have given a few examples uh, and I'm pretty sure big companies are using AI. Amazon is probably the the prime example. Uh, But is it uh, industry agnostic or uh, are specific industries better at using AI than others? It is industry agnostic because again, it's just computing
2: power, you know? And so we can add that to anything. The bigger Mm. questions are... Um, Is there enough data to make it actually useful? And that's a problem we run into a lot in B2B. You know, when you're doing Mm -hmm. business-to-business stuff, you may only have 30 leads that can buy your product. So there's really no need to be, you know, spending millions of dollars churning data on these people because, you know, you can already see them all in a spreadsheet and understand it. But, uh, you know, you can also look at things like recommendation engine on Amazon or Mm. tracking goals on Google, I mean, these are all things that are putting to bear a ton of computing process. So you could say that it is machine learning or artificial intelligence that is being used. But it's more a matter of, you know, even though we're in an era where it's incredibly cheap and easy to do this now, that still doesn't mean it's for everything. You know, there's still areas where there's either not enough data or it's just not worth spending the money because the return isn't going to be there.
1: Okay, got it. One thing that we cover extensively um, uh, on Marketing Mantra is SEO. And uh, machine learning has played a huge role in uh, how SEO has evolved over the years. Can you tell us how machine learning is uh, changing SEO uh, and how can marketers adapt to these changes? Sure. So, you know, we do a lot of stuff on this front and it um,
2: can be very complicated. I mean, we do a lot of churning, but even if you just use some basic SEO tools, you can go ahead and run reports and take a look at things like when certain topics trend so you can determine when to to get them. Or another very common one is just to, again, use one of these SEO tools to track your competitor and see which mm-hmm. pages are the most popular and then you can go to those pages I mean, you can do this manually. It's obviously faster if you do some machine learning. But churn through all of their you know top one hundred most popular pages and find mm-hmm. the topics that keep coming up or the key phrases that work. And then you can just copy that for yourself. The other uh, application, which is even more, um, you know you kind of need to have some machine learning talent in-house. But if you were to go to social media forums or um, other areas where, you know your prospects are congregated, you can then run these algorithms to find out what are the topics that they talk about most, what's most popular. And then again, that, that gives right. you your list of, okay, here's the next t- 10 things that we blog about over the next four months. Uh, this ability to scan is really what gives any marketer a lot more power and the ability to you know,
1: optimize their site and get more, uh, just better content to hopefully drive some organic traffic. Right. Tools like SEMrush, Moz obviously have that capability, right? You can zero in on, um, you know, what your competitors are doing. I guess they are introducing incredible features and machine learning obviously plays a large role. So, But is it also changing uh, Google uh, in a more rapid way? Because machine learning, the algorithms that they're generating on a yearly basis, where do you think SEO is heading? And where do you think uh, we will be five years from now, thanks to machine learning? Oh, five years is tough. But yeah, you know,
2: search has already gone all the way down the path of using natural language processing to do more semantic search, you know, instead of just a keyword or three to five word phrases, you know, grabbing entire sentences and paragraphs and understanding the meaning. And that's a great way they're kind of beating back this wave of, you know, there used to be all these sites that would just scrape all the most popular stuff and paste it all together. And that's not as effective as it used to be. And, you know, gets squelched now because the system is smart enough to tell what's fake and you know what topics don't belong together. Um, right. The big question for the next five years is kind of where does Google draw the line? Um, you know, It used to be that their number one goal was for them to get you to the site and then move you along to the information you want. But now on the page one results, they're starting to add more and more content and keep leveling it up so that now a yeah. huge part of your search traffic never even gets past the first Google results page. So, right. um, yeah, that's gonna. The, however, that plays out over the next few years is going to be really interesting because at some point, um, usually in the U.S., there's regulations that come into play as far as you know. You're you can only control so much of the market before your company has to be split up to prevent. You know, just a complete monopoly and, and being able to throttle the market and make it do what you want to do. And I think we're we're getting very close to that point. It'll be interesting. We have a presidential election this year, and so that will take part in it too. You know, if there's – the the current state of government is pretty lenient and doesn't really crack down too mm-hmm. much on
1: business. And so we'll see if that changes in November or not. I think that's one of the reasons why Google poses as a technology company rather than an advertising company because when it comes to digital advertising, they have complete monopoly, right? And that's why they have to pose as a technology company. And uh, they can avoid the scrutiny that way. But I guess, yeah, regulation does come into the picture. And uh, one interesting feature that Ahrefs has, um, you just spoke about um, you know, Google adding a lot of things on page one. I think featured snippet is one of them, right? Featured snippet is something that you get to see when you give a search, uh, and you don't even need to click because Google is providing you the information right there on page one. I think Ahrefs has a pretty cool feature wherein you can see the number of clicks that your uh, links have generated on page one. And there are cases where uh, you are in the top three uh, search results, but you're not getting enough clicks. That's one of the features that Google has added over the last couple of years where uh, you find whatever you're looking for uh, in the featured snippet itself. Before I dig in that, too, I have you know, full disclosure...
2: HRFs is a, su- a supporter of Marketing Over Coffee, one of our sponsors, um, but mm-hmm. that's because we work with them because we love them. They're, As far as we're concerned, they're doing the best job of scanning tons mm. of content. And so, yeah, we use it because we can run scans and then export all the data into analysis. But that mm-hmm. um, snippets that you mentioned is interesting. There's just been some stuff on that I was reading about how yeah, like you said, there's been cases where people aren't getting the traffic and there's sites that have been trying to block. Well, you can block it. You can choose to tag that content so it won't be a featured snippet. But one of the downsides that people hadn't considered was that's where a lot of the smart speaker results are coming from. And so maybe if you're taking a hit on your website, it still might be worth it to keep it there if you become the smart speaker choice because you know there's only one result for smart speaker, right? You don't get a list back. You just get the first thing it tells you. Um, so there's something else to consider when you're looking at that. Aside from Hrefs, are there any other tools that you would recommend to marketers? That's a good question. Yeah, Hrefs is you know the number one choice for us. That's kind of my first stop, and then uh, Google Analytics. You know the whole entire Google suite. And, and in fact, I think that's the biggest mistake a lot of marketers make is they start looking at tools before they've maxed out Google. You know everything you can get for free from Google, and the Google stuff is just at another level because it's free and you know you know that suggestions you get from them are at least somehow baked into the the whole thing. Um, and yeah, there's I know, there's been a couple other changes on that. There were a couple players that we used to watch that have um, just recently got shut down. You know the u s. here has gone through um, the privacy is becoming more and more of an issue, and there's been mm. legislation on that. So a lot of tools, that used to be really great are shuttered, and as the same is with some of the public data that we used to get. You know, there used to be more data out there um, as far as just generic data sets that were based on individual actions. You know, it wasn't personally identifiable, but it was still
1: uh, all which the are way down. tools that were shut down, John? Now, can you just share uh, with us? Uh, you mentioned a couple of tools that were shut down recently because of privacy issues, right?
2: Yeah, Which like Nacho Analytics was one that uh, that we had on our radar and we used to pay attention to. You know, uh, all these tools that are kind of sampling individual data. And the fear was that, you know, ultimately people wouldn't know how much of their data was being surrendered or not. Um, okay. But uh, – yeah, it's kind of it's an always moving set that's for sure and it's interesting to see what comes out next. But and mentioning Rand actually, I know that Spark Toro is I haven't had a chance to dive into that yet and see what's under the hood there, but that's obviously he's got his finger on the pulse of things and I'm interested to jump in there and see what's going on with that.
1: Yeah, he claims it's not an SEO tool. Um he says it's uh, something entirely different. So I'm not sure what exactly Spark Toro is. Uh, The other day, Tim Solo from Ahrefs, um, he just posed a question on Twitter, right? Asking uh, people uh, which are their favorite SEO tools. And there was one guy who replied uh, saying SparkToro. And Ran Fishkin replied to that saying SparkToro is not an SEO tool, but thank you anyway. So I'm really interested to learn what exactly it does. Uh, Have you had the chance to use it? Uh, No, I haven't. I I got
2: maybe two weeks ago an invite came through and I just got pinged on it yesterday. And yeah, it just hasn't, you know, I kind of need... I'd love to have an hour or two of quiet to sit down and dig into that. And I just haven't
1: had a chance to make that yet. Right, okay. Yeah, we've spoken about SEO. I just want to get your thoughts on social media marketing as well. So what are the most important social media trends for 2020 and uh, what do you think entrepreneurs should do about them? Yeah, that's a great question.
2: And it's so funny how you'd mentioned, you know, search engine and Google calling itself, not calling itself an advertising platform when really that's what it is. I find that social media is the same thing too really most of the major players i don't consider them social media anymore i consider them uh media outlets you know media channels because mm. so many of them have locked down all of the organic that the only way for a business to get traffic is to advertise is to pay to promote you know it's not um they're not social media tools and, and in some circumstances it's even become ridiculous i mean my facebook feed for the 600 friends that I have I see content from about 4 people every day which is exactly you know, yeah just mm-hmm. nuts so so for us the biggest social media trend is make sure that you're doing all you can to get people's sms or email address so that you can contact them outside of those channels because if things continue to get ratcheted down you want another way to reach them because you know there's there's no more free lunch with that There was also, you know, earlier in the year, we were talking a lot about TikTok that was gaining a lot of ground at becoming pretty interesting on a lot of fronts. And there were a lot of questions about if that was the place where people should be marketing. Originally, we had run a lot of numbers and seen that, you know, it was not as popular in the United States as it was everywhere else. And it wasn't really worth the time. Um, But then that was starting to tick up again. And it finally reached the point, I think, you know, around a 20 million mark where, you know, we were saying, okay, well, you should at least set up account. So you've got your usernames locked down. But then of course, right, uh, right. this coronavirus thing has kicked in. And now it's going to be interesting to see how this just changes everything. It seems like, you know, Twitter hasn't changed too much. And to be honest, I think I've been a little bit surprised that none of the social media networks or other outlets have kind of risen up or, or done more to kind of take up, you know take this opportunity to help connect and communicate. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody's caught by surprise, but
1: um, yeah, I'm really
2: interested to see how things look about three months from now. You know, it's going to be very interesting to
1: see how things shake out. Coronavirus has been a black swan sort of an event, and uh, most of the social networks have no clue as to how to handle this. And uh, uh, that's a very interesting point that you mentioned, that, um, you know, social media uh, platforms have now become media platforms. But at the same time, you know, media platforms do have accountability they have responsibility i don't think social uh, uh, media companies have any responsibility right now right and that's why mark zuckerberg had, had to testify uh, at the senate and um, it was very clear that he didn't care what was happening right the the, the kind of news that was uh, disseminating on uh, his network there was nothing there was no team responsible for monitoring fake news or uh, news that was actually damaging to uh, the people who were living in specific countries, like what happened with Myanmar and all that. Uh, so that's a very interesting point. Though they are uh, media platforms, they have none of the accountability nor uh, the responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. No, that And
2: like you said, I think that's why they're <laughs> clinging to the social network name as long as they can, because, yeah, sooner or later, it's going to be yeah. demanded. And and I don't know what's going to happen to I mean, because we touched a little bit on machine learning and AI. And... Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, everything that I've seen on that, you know, all the academic discussion just says that there it can't be done. You know, it's like every piece of fake news is something mm-hmm. new and unique that can't be compared to anything before it. So, you know, unless you have a system that does know the truth of everything, there's mm-hmm. no, you know, easy way to automate that. I think we might see some kind of I think it needs to be something where once something gets a specific volume of virality, you know, once it spreads wide enough, it needs to have a human eye on it to see what the deal is. And I, I don't know that, you know, that doesn't seem to scale and seems impossible, but that's the only solution Yeah, that got would be too
1: expensive for Facebook, I guess. I mean, to have someone monitor the content on their uh, social network, that would be, they would require a team and that would require a lot of investment, which I don't think Mark is willing to do right now, so... I know they they paid some record
2: fine of, I, I think it was, uh, I don't have the exact number, but I know it was well over a billion dollars. Um, mm. So, yeah, you know, there comes a point where they're going to have to do it if they want to stay open. But, yeah, I, and I'm also surprised we haven't seen any competitors. I think the only thing, uh, Wiki Tribune from mm. um, uh, Jimmy Wales at Wikipedia was kind of an attempt at, hey, here's an alternative social network. Um, and right. I played with that a little bit, but, uh, you know, that's – you know, it's early days and, man, Facebook just has so much momentum for somebody to come in. They're going to have right. to do something just totally, you know, incredible or groundbreaking.
1: Yeah. And I guess when you started 12 years back, MySpace was um, the hype, right? I mean, MySpace was the network to be in. And no one imagined <laughs> Facebook would be uh, replacing them. And they did that within three or four years. And uh, I don't think anyone can dethrone Facebook right now, like you said. It's, uh, it's massive. And uh, I mean, you would need uh, something to be at least 10x better. And uh, all you can do is you can probably create a different network, like what TikTok has done. But I still uh, fail to see how TikTok can help marketers, though there are a lot of uh, people out there. But I guess you need to uh, create unique content on TikTok to even go viral. So uh, um, not really sure about TikTok. Have you had any success uh, uh, with TikTok? Uh, You said you have created an account, but so have you seen any traction? no we haven't done anything like i said it's very um
2: you know it's pretty much funny videos you know and but yeah. of course there's a bunch of brands you know like the the perfect guys or you know red bull type people that could take advantage and jump on that but yeah we haven't right. seen any case studies and uh, yeah and to be honest i'm not even uh, fully aware of what the opportunities are for an ad work, network, you know, how well that's built out. I mean, Instagram has finally pretty much become solid in that it's very straightforward to, you know, set up campaigns and get them running. And I don't even know the state yeah. of TikTok where they're at for doing that. And then, of course, there's the, you know, it's also the international issue of data being housed in China that creates a whole nother set of problems for exactly. us here in the yeah. States. Yeah. There are certain people that will refuse to use it just on that basis alone.
1: Not many people were aware that it's uh, a Chinese product. Um, once they realized it's from China, yeah, there has been some skepticism, but I'm not sure if that's going to play. Uh, a huge role going forward. It's very interesting to see what happens in that space. What do you think of uh, niche networks like Pinterest or uh, Tumblr? Tumblr, anyway, is dying a slow death. But uh, what do you think of Pinterest? Do you think uh, there's an opportunity for marketers there? Yeah, I think there there definitely is. I mean, it,
2: it, it's just funny. Pinterest is one of those, it's a solid niche. You know, They really kind of go after the crafting and... Um, I don't know. It's just strange that no photo—well, Instagram being the exception—but I thought there would be more of a photo-sharing community on the web. Flickr, you know, tried for years and years and years and years and just never got kind of the momentum that it could need to take off. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure why Pinterest hasn't lit up. I mean, I think Facebook competition is definitely part of it. You know, it was just easier to chat and exchange information. Um, And then I guess you know, no clear value besides just looking at images you know if there was something else in pinterest where users could be posting photos and either you know get some kind of value back for what they've put up Mm. there or make it easier for vendors to get to the users um yeah it's kind of a mystery that's another one to me i don't understand why it hasn't been able to kind of find you
1: know something that works for them and yeah again i have no answer for that Circling back to entrepreneurship, because you have so much experience, you've been um, doing podcasting for 12 years, and uh, I believe uh, you are currently running two companies, if I'm not mistaken, Trust Insights and uh, EventSci, right?
2: Uh, We've been doing, so uh, yeah, Trust Insights is pretty much the full-time gig, and even Marketing Over Coffee, it's funny, even though that started before Trust Insights, it really, everything we do at Marketing Over Coffee kind of helps Trust Insights move forward, I am still an advisor at Event Hero. Um, I kind of stopped day to day with them uh, about two years ago, but I'm still involved with them. And but of course, as you can imagine, you know, conference and event industry we're basically in shutdown for at least another month or two. Yeah, um, yeah, right. But yeah, that's another, uh, a whole other life. I had done tech events mm-hmm. for years and years um, before I jumped across and got more into just kind of pure. Um, software development entrepreneur stuff. Um, But yeah, I always have a dear space in my heart for events, personal events. I think there's nothing that can replace Mm -hmm. that feeling of kind of getting anywhere from, you know, 50 to 100,000 people in the same place. There's nothing like that experience.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, SEM Rush had their first uh, uh, event in Bangalore. Uh, That was around two months back, two or three months back, December. So uh, I was one of the guest experts there. And uh, um, it's an amazing feeling. I mean, the way they scaled it up, and this was the first event that they were having uh, in Bangalore, right? And the kind of response they got was amazing. So, yeah, I hope, uh, you know, we see uh, a resurgence once uh, this COVID-19 scare is over. Hopefully events, uh, all the marketing events that happen all around the world should be uh, back with the bang. Uh, what I wanted to learn from you was, um, you know, since you have so much experience in entrepreneurship, uh, what do you think is the biggest mistake that most entrepreneurs make that's holding them back right now?
2: Oh yeah, great question. You know, the biggest thing, the, the most important thing is you can't just fall in love with your idea the best entrepreneurs that I've seen and the most successful stuff, it doesn't start with a product, it starts with a problem. You know, the entrepreneur is doing something or they're involved with something and they see a problem and they say, "Okay, I'm going to build this to fix this problem." This thing specifically. The where a ton of entrepreneurs make a mistake is they build something and then they're running around looking for a problem to fix with it. You know, it's like, hey, we made this tool that can do these four things or any of these, you know, how much are you willing to pay to get some of these things done? And it's just so much more effective if you just start with a problem that already exists that you know somebody is willing to pay to fix that kind of takes all of the guesswork out of your first two years and yeah that's the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make. If you've, if you've got something and you're still looking for a problem you know you still don't have any market. You've got to start with uh, something that you know people want to pay to get fixed and that that's where the
1: real product marketing starts. Okay and finally one question I had for you is um, uh, what are two to three books that you would recommend to entrepreneurs? Oh, for entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's a good question. Let's see. Simon Sinek's Start With Why
2: is one of my favorite books. I think the the big thing with that Mm -hmm. is it it cracked the code for me. And and Simon can tell you that whole story about how he was at Ogilvy and they were doing ad campaigns for tons of clients. And he -hmm. didn't understand why. You know, you a team could do an ad campaign for one client and just be a huge runaway success and then do a campaign for another client and have it be a failure. And the reason was because it was whether or not those organizations had a clear why. You know, if it was clear why they existed and what they were doing and you could express that in four or five words, then it's very easy to do campaigns and get your message across. So start with why is one. Um, let's see. A second one that I love, uh, Traction by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Mares. Mm. Hmm. Is a fantastic book. It basically covers 19 major categories of marketing, and everything you can do as a marketer is in that list. So if you know you were some kind of VP of marketing or director, you know and it's your first big job. You can just grab that book, and that can be your map for your first three years of what you need to do. So that's a, a huge win. Um, and let's see, a third book on the list. Um, Oh, man. There's so many. I mean, uh, that been, Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It's true. There's um, Play Bigger by Christopher Lockhead. I love it. It's about category design, and that's a great one. But then uh, to level up another level, too, Seth Godin, I think The Dip is actually my favorite book of his. You know, just talking oh, yeah. about the okay. fact that, um, you know, every industry or anything you do as an entrepreneur, you're going to kind of hit this point where you think that everything, you know, is not going to work, it's a total failure. And it's just the organizations and people that have the the tenacity and the stomach to ride through that dip um, to get to the other side. That's where all the success is made. So yeah, I think I'd throw on those three in, but you know,
1: still give another plug for Play Bigger as a, a fourth that you should check out too. Awesome. Thank you so much. The Dip is one of the books, one of the Seth Gordon books I haven't read. I, I guess he has authored 19 of them. Uh, I've read his most recent book. This is marketing. Also, Purple Cow. I really loved uh, Purple Cow and Lynchpin. But The Dip is uh, something I haven't read. So I'll just uh, put it in my cart right now. And uh, Traction is amazing. Like you said, I read this uh, back in 2016. It really helped me a lot when I just started my digital marketing agency. I guess Traction is one of the books that would, that I would also recommend to most entrepreneurs. Uh, Simon Sinek, uh, I've seen his TED video. I've not read any of his books. Uh, so I would definitely want to read uh, Start With Why. So thank you for recommending that.
2: No, was just a, Yeah, absolutely. Check out Simon's first book. That's uh, definitely the way to go. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, John, for taking uh, the time to be a part of this podcast. It was uh, really lovely to have you here. And uh, hopefully we can do this uh, sometime uh, soon once all of this uh, COVID-19 scare is over.
2: Yeah, thank you. No, it's my pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you, Sandeep. And yeah, uh, maybe I can get over to Bangalore. I
1: would love to get over there and, and visit. That would be fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please do. It's it's a lovely place. I think this is a great time for you to record uh, more podcasts at Marketing Over Puppy. <laughs> So uh, you can invite guests and um, have uh, virtual sessions with them. So all the best for that. And uh, thank you so much once again, John, for uh, being a part of this podcast. Oh,
2: no problem. It's my pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate it. And yeah, we'll talk to you later.
1: Okay, then, sure.
0: Thank you. Marketing Mantra with Sandeep Malia is a podcast by 99Signals, a place to find top-notch content on a wide range of online marketing topics. To get started, visit 99signals.com slash best to check out all the top-rated articles on the blog or simply view the description of each episode to download free online marketing resources to level up your marketing skills. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question or topic suggestion for Sandeep? Simply send a voice message via Anchor app or send an email to podcasts at 99signals.com. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Marketing Mantra on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any major podcast player.